it is time to tune up the band and damn 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 <laughs> for it is another episode of the sweet chin wag podcast my name is sam always alongside dan and reardon as we continue our journey for the wacky world of pro wrestling Hello, chaps. This is very weird for me because we're doing this midweek rather than how we usually do it. Happy Halloween for like three days or whatever. I know. <laughs> we're making full advantage of me actually being available at another time. <laughs> and me being oh so freaking busy. <laughs> yeah, that is for true. <laughs> but hey ho, we're here. We're you know, we're, we're, we're trundling along as best as we can, I yeah. think. I think. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're keeping on, keeping on. I think everyone, I mean, everyone's doing okay. We've got Halloween to look forward to. Exactly. And we've just had one big celebration in wrestling with Halloween happen, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. Uh, how are you, Reardon? I'm all right. I'm all right. I am doing my thing, doing my stuff, <laughs> just, you know, vibing. That 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 is yeah. That I I I can I can, I can get with that. Simply vibing, coasting through life, uh, by the seat of your pants. I am no, vibing uh... respectfully. <laughs> oh, keto. Yeah, as ever, we give you this podcast. Thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. Do you know how we do? We know how we do. You know, some people get paid in beer money, but we get paid in pending and also Patreon. Yes. Subscribe to our Patreon, please. Yes, 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 yes. We do have a whole bunch of tiers and early access to all things. That includes episodes and videos that we are working on. Hear that? Early access from only £1? <laughs> and you also get exclusive Steel. access. Else you get exclusive access to our own Discord server, so you know. I know it's so good. Such a good deal, starting from one pound from the for the lowest tier all the way up. Yes, you can find that on patreon.com forward slash sweet chinwag. Guys, we have reached the end of UK Black History Month, and uh, it's been an absolute joy to uh, to be doing this, and I am so looking forward to doing this again next year. But before we get to the final episode for UK Black History Month. It is time to visit Dan for this week's wrestling news. Dun, 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 down. Wrestling news. <clears throat> Spooky. <laughs> Spooky. Okay. Wrestling news. Oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, let's get into it. And let's get to the big story of right now. Mm. Becky and Charlotte. <laughs> ah, yes. Um, okay. Um, now, obviously, there's a lot to unpack here, <laughs> as ever. When is anything ever simple in wrestling? Mm. Mm. But um, let's try and kind of piece things together and kind of go over the bits that we do know and the bits that we do understand and can take forward. Yeah. Really, the first part comes down to, <laughs> once again, WWE booking themselves into this hole 
and like not realizing that they needed to get out of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, the easy thing is to say, well, how could you end up here? And to be honest, that could be for any amount of reasons. The most that I put it forward to is that WWE is literally booking on a like a week by week basis, mm. mm-hmm. and that there is no foresight to the draft and what's happening. Huh. Um, but obviously, it talks to I don't know. I think the disconnect between talent and management. Yeah. Or whether I talk to some kind of, again, I mean, as we've said, there's definitely some kind of larger organizational issue at play for a lot of stuff with WWE. Yeah. It's. Um, but obviously, it just leaves everything in this very, very awkward state. <laughs> oh, gosh, you're telling me. Like, and that's. And that became very apparent last Saturday. <laughs> Uh, with that segment um gosh where do we even begin with it like of course like the whole notion of swapping titles i've always found has always been a bit strange yeah so obviously part of it is the whole title swapping thing which i think no (sighs) Mm -hmm. like i don't think you should ever really be in a point where you have to do that yeah and obviously, the part of it is WWE already done this this year with the New Day and um, Street the Street Profits. Um, and you know that's you know a lot of people kind of waving that off, going, "Well, that's whatever. It's the tag division. Does it really make a difference? Tag division doesn't mean a whole lot." Um, but obviously, in, in this case, it sets a precedent. <laughs> <laughs> the precedent being. That it can happen. And if it can happen once, it can happen again. (laughs) (laughs) What's better than Um, a bad idea? A bad idea that's run into the ground. (laughs) You know, I I can never remember what it was that that the person that was trading me told me, but it was like doing something wrong once is a mistake. Doing it every time is like a failure or something. Something like that. But, um... Obviously, we have this whole title-swapping segment. Everything goes down horrifically, and apparently, like, no one backstage was behind this. No. Like, no one was in support of this idea, rightfully so. Because, again, I I think part of this as well is that a lot of people were kind of saying, again, I feel like I'm going to catch a lot of heat with this segment, Um, but... A lot of people saying, "Oh, well, you'd think they'd respect the women's titles a lot, a bit more than just doing this title swap segment." To which my answer is, "Yeah, I don't know about that one." <laughs> um, I, I, I have to be in agreement with you there. Um, and obviously, we're here at this point, and things have happened. Things have gone down. Obviously, we get to the segment the entire thing is horrifically awkward to watch. Yeah. You have two people that really don't want to be there, have no real interest in being there or, or going through with this, and are clearly unhappy, or at least one of them is clearly unhappy. Mm. Which involves them both throwing the titles to the ground and 
one throwing at the other and just yeah a lot you could tell there was a there was tension you could, oh, that was thick it was thick with five c's you could tell how that's it the tension yeah was there. and it, i mean it spilled over to the person who was trying to officiate it as well because you could tell that uh that sonia deville was incredibly miffed off as well oh yeah yeah uh it's it's and it comes as no surprise really that WWE have tried to scrub this. They didn't show this part in their recap on their YouTube channel. They certainly haven't put it on their any official Twitter threads as well. So, mm-hmm. and then obviously going going through, um, as reported by Fightful, there was supposedly a backstage altercation between Charlotte and uh, Becky. That apparently you know, went no further than just kind of them yelling at each other, maybe one of them pushing another one. Mm. Um, but obviously, it kind of speaks to where the both of them are in regards to all of this. Um, you know, a lot of people have had this as an opportunity to reflect on uh, management's opinion on Charlotte, Charlotte's opinions on the company. Charlotte's attitude at large, also Becky's attitude at large as well. Yeah. Um, and look, I'm not going to get into kind of trying to do any kind of like weird behavioral analysis stuff that people have been doing because that's <laughs> not my that's not my area. No. But I really think it does speak to a larger problem within WWE. Mm. Um, mm. obviously in regards to the handling of the women's division, but also the way things have become with the handling of the women's division at this point, because I feel like in WWE at this point now, Charlotte has become defined by title reigns. That's it. Yeah. That's all that it, that's all there is to her at this point. Ugh, yeah, you're... and she's ended up becoming way more one-dimensional than I feel that she actually is. Mm. It's yeah, it's just it's just a number, not in terms of matches, personalities, no. rivalries. Even it's really a waste, just a waste of a lot of talent. Because I, I feel like it, I feel like at this point it's just padding to get her to her dad's number. Oh, and 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 you know surpass it. Like hmm. it, it's 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 as transparent as anything that that's what they that that's what they're going for. And I feel like they have been ever since really, ever since she debuted on NXT. Because I mean, when you think go back to when she debuted, then she had a she had Rick introducing her and he proclaimed that she was the greatest athlete in the flair family so it's like they've made it obvious that this was the end goal because like i don't want to speak down on her talent because i feel like obviously her wrestling ability speaks to itself Mm. absolutely i mean that's what you get when you're trained by sarah del rey isn't it and that and that's the thing like we all know how how good she is, but I feel like she's been. I feel like part of it is she's been put under so much pressure by management. Mm. 
Yeah. To constantly be leading, to constantly be the focal point. And, you know, some people are up to that and other people aren't always. Yeah. And so this kind of leads to a whole bunch of other stuff, which is that, you know, has she lost faith in management? Has she lost her love with the company? And when I say lost her love with the company, I mean from herself to the company rather than the company to her. Mm. Um, and is is the company at large just saying, we're just going to put our stock in Becky now? Because uh, I can't mm. lie. From the feeling of it, I think Becky's the company woman now. Yeah, I mean, especially when they were, especially that moment, that little moment where the crowd was chanting Becky Two Belt says, and I think that's part of the reason why she threw the title down. Mm. Yeah, as well as that, that, that it, it was kind of almost plainly obvious to see that that was probably what they were going to go for. But yeah, I just, oh, I think this just as 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 you said, Dan, exposed the the big problem right now with mm-hmm. with WWE's current booking of the women's division. Yep, and so to put that op- to put that open and in the air at least with my view on it now is that the WWE women's division only serves the four horsewomen. Yeah. Or it has, it has reached that point in which it is only serving members serving members of the four four horsewomen. Um, to actually, you know, establish profile. Mm. And, like, the thing is, is we can talk about all the amazing depth of talent that they have. Yep. Obviously, Zelina Vega winning the Queen's Crown tournament is is good. Mm. But when we're talking about a tournament that they've got 19 minutes across its entire span over like two three weeks yeah no bueno like what's what's the point what's you know what's the point of doing these showcases and trying to make a point about these big moments when you know yeah you know we look at it we look at it and we say you know Bianca's biggest match was against Sasha, and it rightfully was. Mm-hmm. Yes. But then, like, it becoming, like, defi- you know, her being defined by her match with Becky, her her being defined by being able to beat Charlotte, by being able to beat Bailey. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's like... <laughs> And and you you look at it and you again you go back to people like Shayna Baszler, Oscar, um, and any of the other amazing women who are in that who are within that division. That you just kind of think like, each time it comes around, it's going to end up going back. And like the thing is, right again, Bailey's title reign through twenty twenty was amazing. Mm. like genuinely best of the year regardless of gender contender yeah and i don't know whether we've become conditioned to expect that 
all the time. But I feel like we're at a point where something's got to give. Yeah. Yeah. They have to prepare for the next generation. They have to prepare for life without them. And that's going to come by a lot sooner <laughs> than they think it will. I reckon. And, and you yeah. know, and I, and, I, and I say this in terms of stuff like whether or not that is that, you know, in this case, Charlotte leaves the company. Whether or not that's that Sasha Banks' profile um, in acting grows bigger and she decides to leave. Mm. Whether or not that's because, you know, in the, in this case, Bailey stays injured for an extended period of time. You know, I, I just, I get the feeling that they're kind of predicating everything on this, like, one small section and then kind of, you know, cutting off the nose to spite the face. <laughs> yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> I don't know, it, it, it just feels... I don't know. It's almost it's almost painful to see. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and I I just wonder like what's gonna be the breaking point? Because like I mean I'm not gonna be I don't want to be that person, but like think about what it means at this point if for whatever reason Charlotte just decided to go to AEW. Mm. Mm. Like, like, just contextually, think about what that means. Carolina. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to make that yeah. joke. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but like, but like, contextually, think about what that what that means. Yeah. Um, and obviously, that there's there's a whole bunch of stuff well as well where people are saying about like, oh, is this reflective of you know Charlotte's attitude or whatever? And again, like I said I, I'm not really the place to get into that same um at, you know at this point i just kind of look at it and i kind of just think you know it, it's just kind of like a, a, a what now yeah mm. because like clearly from the sounds of it it sounds like there's people on all sides that are very much unhappy and, like, I always think back to the report from Raw where they were saying, like, there were women backstage who were saying, like, oh, well, we want Becky to come back because we think it will improve our booking. Ta. Ta. Which is, like, horrific. Mm-hmm. You know, the women's matches across, you know, I mean, I haven't checked the time stats on NXT, but... You know, the women's matches for Raw and SmackDown are still not great. Mm. They're certainly better than they were. But to be fair, for Raw, that meant like having a four-minute match rather than like a two-minute match. Oof. So it's really a shame, especially at a time where women's wrestling is going bigger and bigger than ever the women's 150 came out recently bianca belair took the number one spot yes um, which is which is well well deserved oh absolutely but again we say we we say that and and we look at where we are now <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know i'm man. almost i'm almost 
at, at this point, I'm almost, I mean, to be fair, it's because of the evaluation periods, but I'm almost surprised that Itami didn't take it from her. Mm. Mm. And, you know, there's so many more, you know, there's so many more companies as well just around the world that are just doing it better. Yeah. It's, oh, it's just, you just, you just kind of want to shake WWE and go, do you realize what you are doing? Look, you can that, be that's, so much better. That, yeah. that's, I mean, that's really the point. It's just being like, come on, we, come on, we can do better than this. We, we can, we can really do better. Hmm. Um, <sighs> Speaking of better. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I'll segue into Halloween Havoc because it wasn't that bad of an NXT special. No. Uh, we got so we got a really good main event with Tommaso Ciampa and Bron Breaker. Sorry, Rex Steiner. Um, yes. A really good solid main event would not have surprised me if they put the strap on Steiner, which I feel that they're going too soon. Or they're going later. too soon. Um. <laughs> Uh, Champa, they really do work together, well together. Do Champa and, and mm-hmm. Steiner, and that it came, it, it was there, it was there in full force. So great match. Also, props to Tommaso Champa for fully leaning into the uh, to his comparison to Kratos by uh, painting himself to look like Kratos. Boy, boy, boy. Uh, toxic attraction win. The, t- mm-hmm. uh, the NXT tag title, uh, women's tag titles. Uh, Mandy Rose is now new NXT women's champion. Yeah, Thoroughly. interesting choice. Interesting, interesting choice. choice. Very interesting choice. I don't hate it. I, I don't, don't hate, hate it. it. No, I don't I'm, hate it. But still, I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see where they're going to go with it. The younger <laughs> Uso has finally made his debut. Uh, oh, now yeah. known as Solo Sokoa. And looking so the like f- Jimmy and Jay. <laughs> the third Uso is here. Oh, no. And thus oh. the prophet, while they spoke, the third Uso appeared. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Imperium have finally uh, have finally beat uh, MSK's, I think it was near 200-day reign as tag champions. Uh, to yeah, NXT I'm, tag, ta- the champions I'm, I'm interested in that, because I wouldn't have thought they would have gone for, for Imperium with the new NXT 2.0, but I, I like it. I mean, I like Imperium anyway, so... I'm a massive fan of Imperium. I've always thought, and I think good, good, a good decision to give them the straps, because I feel like oh, as, yeah. a solid, as a solid heel tag team, they're one of the best in WWE right now. Oh, and they yeah. always elevate the tag division in any match that they are put in. Um, Absolutely. We had city, city bollock segments with Chucky, Dexter Loomis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Odyssey Jones accepting the Diamond Mines Open Challenge, and oh, Dakota Kai was revealed, of course, as the as with the mysterious vignettes that have been around. We had Kushida and Ikemajiro in wrestling singlets taking the piss out of the Creed Brothers. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> and of course, all of this. And that Tony D'Angelo is still the most overperson in NXT right I now. I said the hive is alive. <laughs> what, I lo- what I love about this is that what WWE have done is that they've like done this thing in like complete earnest, thinking like, yeah, this will be great for our new company, and they've genuinely just un- unintentionally created this fucking peak ironic humor. Yes. 
It's incredible. <laughs> I love now that he's... No amount of planning could have created this. I love that the NXT uh, Twitter account may have doubled down on this by saying Tony D'Angelo has great passion in his life if you don't mess with his gubba ghoul. Good like, God in like genuinely, what they've done is they've unintentionally created an ironic meme. <laughs> Disturbing I, as hell. And the fact that his catchphrase now is forget about it. Like, gen- genuinely, they've just created the most fucking stock character ever. Stealing from a TV show that debuted like 25 years ago. <laughs> and they're here and they're like, yeah, this is great. And they've genuinely just created ironic humor. It's fucking brilliant. Can't wait for the can't wait for him to be the new Undertaker. <laughs> West in cement shoes, eh? Forget about it's, it. It's genuinely yes. fucking I, I, artistic. I, I cannot wait for Triple H's farewell match being a Gabagool buried alive Gabagool match. <laughs> Hey, I'll be sleeping with the fishes along with the gabagool, eh? No, I'm sorry, I've got, it's too addictive. I can't, I've got to stop. No, it is very addictive. You have to stop. You have to stop. I have to stop right now. But no, overall, cool, awesome. Really enjoyed it. Uh, NXT 2.0, I am, I'm still really on the fence of its overall look. I really am. Uh, there have been some, it's been very hit and miss as well with the pe- the new people. Uh, that they've been bringing in, but overall, I I remain cautiously optimistic. I think's the word. Cautiously mm-hmm. optimistic. I feel like maybe NXT 2.0 has just been the vehicle for Rex Steiner to to <clears throat> to to elevate himself to become the one true uh, the one true Steiner. I mean, because yeah. look, he called himself the genetic freak in a promo. Oh, <laughs> come on, just call him a Steiner. <laughs> Uh, uh, just do the just do the thing. Just do the damn thing. <laughs> awesome. So we have quite a special featured wrestler of the week, don't we, Dan? We do. Uh, obviously, in terms of our normal feature wrestler of the week segment, um, I will still be leaving some lovely recommendations, which for this week are two retro recommendations, which are Jazz and Jacqueline. Please go and watch some of the matches because there's some absolutely amazing stuff in there. Mm. Um, just kind of from collected time and also Jazz's recent work on the independent scene, mm-hmm. especially with like Mission Pro and stuff. There's some absolutely amazing stuff in there. <laughs> some absolute modern versus old school dream matches. Um, but for the remainder of this featured wrestlers of the week segment, I would like to pass it over to lovely Steph- Stephanie Harding from the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Uh, and she is going to talk a lot about the contribution of black women to wrestling and some of her favorite black women wrestlers. Hey, y'all. My name is Stephanie Hardy, and I am the host and creator of The Hardy Wrestling Podcast and co-host of Women's Wrestling Talk on Fight TV and a commentator for The Belladonna Division here in Gadsden, Alabama. And I am so proud and so happy to be asked to be a part of UK Black History Month through the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am so honored to be asked to talk about um, two really amazing black female athletes in my life who I really love and have documented multiple times on my show and other shows as well. Um, I know I was asked to talk about one, but I had to talk about 
one match in particular this year that meant the absolute world to me, not only as just a wrestling fan, but also as a black female wrestling fan. And that is, of course, the historic WrestleMania main event between Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair for the SmackDown Women's Championship, which I can argue and say that should be listed as one of the matches of the year for the year of 2021. Now, of course, when you have Sasha Banks, when you think of Sasha Banks, I think of her as the GOAT in my mind. You think of her as the legit boss, the blueprint, the standard, the main event, the GOAT, all of those amazing things, right? But when you think about where she came from and how she had to fight for her dreams, literally through the through helping take care of her brother through his disability and also helping her mother who was a single parent and running and actually not even running off but just leaving her home and her comfort zone to follow her dreams after watching wrestling for so long and wanting to be just like Eddie Guerrero who is her personal hero to make her dreams come true and fight in the indies as of course Mercedes KV which is based off of her real name growing to become a an accomplished independent wrestler and being able to get to WWE NXT and create the boss character with some inspiration from Dusty Rhodes, The American Dream. She has grown to be one of the pillars of women's wrestling's evolution in WWE because of course the evolution may not have just started in WWE but it was skyrocketed at, on NXT in its first inception. You had women like her, you also had women like Becky Lynch, Charlotte, and of course Bayley who were the pillars of women's wrestling after Paige and the likes of Emma got called up to the main roster. She was having all of these stellar matches, but once she was able to legitimize herself as the legit boss, like she created herself from the persona of her cousin Snoop Dogg, who makes history all on his own in music, she was able to have match after match after match, which, which you can't even say, you know, you could go wrong. This woman can have a great match with a broom. Like, I literally believe that. So some of the most stellar matches I feel like she has had in her career that isn't even finished yet. Let's just talk about that. Like her career isn't even done. She has had amazing matches with Becky Lynch, of course, um, in NXT. Um, I believe that was NXT um, TakeOver Unstoppable, if I'm not mistaken. And then she's also she also had her historic match for the NXT Women's Championship against Bayley at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn which is considered one of the greatest women's wrestling matches of all time. And then you also have her other match with Bayley that took place last year inside Hell in a Cell for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Then you also have to think of the fact that she has made history so many times. She has participated in the first women's Iron Woman match. She has participated in the first Hell in a Cell match with Charlotte for the Raw Women's Championship. She participated in the first No Holds Barred match on Raw that featured two women in it. And she's a part of the first women to ever be the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions along with Bayley. This woman just knows history in terms of, of wrestling and she just continuously makes it. When you think of WWE Women's History, you think of her because she has been in all of these stellar moments. And she has worked 
to become a seven-time champion and to be featured in WrestleMania so many various times, especially dealing with the match that we're going to talk about in terms of her versus Bianca Belair. Now, on the flip side of that, you have Bianca Belair, who didn't grow up watching wrestling unless she was watching it with her brother, and it wasn't her life's ambition to become a wrestler, but she was an athlete. She was a stellar athlete because she ran track, she played volleyball, you name it, she did it, and she won trophies and medals and all of those things. And she also did CrossFit as well, which is how she got the attention of one Mark Henry, who is a future Hall of Famer and works for AEW now as a broadcaster. So once the once they got the attention, once she got the attention of Mark Henry and WWE, and she was invited to try out. She made it and picked up wrestling as if you know it was just something that was just innately natural to her and of course you know when you're starting off in a career you don't start off you know knowing everything so of course there were a lot of bumps in the road but as she kept learning and as she kept wrestling she kept progressing and even from me seeing her for the very first time at the 2018 May Young Classic I knew that she was destined for big things because she just had this beautiful aura about her this personality this confidence that she carries herself with she called herself the EST for a reason, because she believes in herself. And then when you also think of history on her part, her family has also made lots of black history as well in terms of her great grandfather, who I believe, um, who I believe made history in North Carolina, which is where her family is originally from as well. So when it comes to black history, that is something that she carries on her shoulders and she is not afraid to put out there, even on social media for Black History Month here in the United States. She would post different pictures of her and her husband, Montez Ford of the Street Profits, of course, dressed up as various black history figures in the United States. It is something that she values. And of course, you also saw that at NXT TakeOver Portland when she faced off against Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's Championship when she came out there in her gear that said Black History in the making. And of course, she makes her own gear. Like, what? Like, ain't nobody doing that. None of your top fives are doing that. I'm sorry. But <laughs> but basically, this woman basically represents what Black History is and not being afraid to be herself and put that out there and knowing that her ancestry helps her and motivates her to be the best that she can be for right now. And seeing her evolve as a wrestler and seeing where she once was years ago from the Mae Young Classic to even in NXT, um, the differences you have, you know, also between her and Sasha is the fact that Sasha was, of course, the first black NXT women's champion. Bianca Belair sadly never won the NXT women's championship, but that does not mean that she still wasn't destined for big things. She went on to participate in a Royal Rumble in the Royal Rumble in 2020 and had a great showing, but didn't win that time. But when she came up to the main roster, she was able to win and accrue so many wins on also on main event and on Raw and then got drafted to SmackDown and was able to reach for her goals, come in at number three at the Royal Rumble this year and win the whole thing. And what's so funny is she wound up being in the last three left between Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley, whom she had feuded with over the NXT Women's Championship before, but they sort of pushed her to the side and made it seem like she wasn't as important. But guess what? It was her turn now. 
So she won the Royal Rumble, much to the celebration of everybody around her, and she became only the second black person to win the the women's the the Royal Rumble as a whole since its inception, and the first black woman to win the women's Royal Rumble as well. So. It's, you think after all that, maybe she'd be through, right? Or you thought that maybe she would challenge Asuka for the Raw Women's Championship, or she could have gone back to NXT. But no, she decided that she wanted to challenge Sasha Banks, who was the SmackDown Women's Champion at the time. And she had faced off against the like Sasha had faced off against the likes of Carmella and Bailey and so many other women, right, for that title. But never had she faced anybody the likes of Bianca Belair. And even though they had tagged together throughout all of that time, it was time for them to finally face off. And this was a celebration all over social media because this was the first time that two black women were going to face each other for a championship at a WrestleMania. But the fans did not stop there. No, we didn't. We wanted... We wanted this match to be put on a higher pedestal. So we wanted this match to be the main event of one of the WrestleMania nights. And dang it, it was. So now we have this match being as historic as it is put on this pedestal. And then it was the main event. And oh my gosh, did this match deliver. It delivered. This is a match that I still go back and watch at a random times just so I can feel good on the inside of my soul. I love this match so much. I suggest if you ever, if you've forgotten as a fan what this match is like, I suggest you go back and watch it. It's on Peacock, go back and watch it and remember all of the feelings that you felt while watching this match. You were watching two stellar black female athletes in their prime go off against each other. You have Bianca Belair being the new girl on the block looking to prove herself as the EST and win that championship with all of her power set in motion, you know, and all of this potential just waiting to come out. And then you have Sasha Banks, the veteran, the ring general, as Triple H called her after that match you know, who continues to get better at her craft every single time you watch her wrestle. She is a student of the game. She is always looking to adapt to her other opponents. That's the reason why she's the GOAT, because she never wrestles the same with anybody. And you have these two people coming together for this stellar match, and it was just five stars across the board. It was emotional because you saw how far they were holding the the they were standing on the shoulders of so many giants like Jazz, like Jacqueline, like Alicia Fox, like Naomi even, like so many women like Sweet Georgia Brown and so many other women who do not get the credit that they deserve as black female wrestlers from way back in the day up until now. And they took all of that motivation and had one of the greatest matches of the year. And I do suggest that you please go back and watch it. And of course, Bianca Belair came out with the win after whipping Sasha Banks with her signature braid and hitting her with the KOD. And she won the match in front of her mother, her father, and her brother. And her husband, Montez Ford, came out to celebrate with her as she won. And she held the title up until August. 
um, of this year when she lost it in a very controversial way to Becky Lynch, the man, as she made her return at SummerSlam. But that does not stop her from being the EST at all, because even as we speak, she was voted as number one on the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Women's 150 list. This woman, you just cannot deny her cultural um, relevance at this point, her pride in her history, her pride in her confidence in who she is and loving herself even in the midst of struggle and depression and so many different things in her life. She has risen to become one of the greatest, one of the greatest women's wrestlers of our time in the modern time. And I'm just so happy to see her rise. And I was so happy to see Sasha Banks, who even though she lost the WrestleMania match, she didn't lose anything. Because even though you do think back about all the moments at WrestleMania where she has lost those matches, she didn't lose in this aspect because she will always be remembered as one of the black women who made history at WrestleMania. And there is nothing that she can't do and she has proven that and there is no challenge that any there's no challenge that they they can place in front of her that she cannot rise to the occasion of. And it was absolutely beautiful and I can't wait to see what else they have in store as wrestlers? Because you see Sasha Banks now is about to feud with Charlotte on SmackDown. And then you have Bianca Belair who is gunning for the Raw Women's Championship and wanting to get her revenge on Miss Becky Lynch for beating her in those 26 seconds. But that doesn't stop her from being the EST. And, that, and any loss does not stop Sasha Banks from being the boss either. So... I am just so proud of these women and I can't wait to see what else they have in store. They are definitely future Hall of Famers for sure. So if you do have a mind to, please go back and watch Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair for the SmackDown Women's Championship at WrestleMania from this year, night one, and just celebrate who you are as a black person here in the United States. There is so much crazy stuff going on. Um, that could probably make you feel like you're not you're not worth anything but also know that if you are in the in the united kingdom and if you are of african descent please know and if you're listening to this podcast please know that you are destined for greatness and you are worth more than what any person or any one in society tries to make it seem like you are you don't have a box you don't have any limitations you can rise and do whatever it is that you want to do with your life. And as long as you remember that this month and every month, of course, um, going forward, you will go far and reach your dreams. So with that in mind, thank you to the Sweet Chinwag podcast for having me on um, for UK Black History Month. And if you want to follow me on Instagram or on Twitter, you can follow me at Queen Step Hardy. That's Queen S-T-E-P-H. H-A-R-D-Y, just like the Hardy Boys, but that's really my last name. And you can follow my podcast, The Hardy Wrestling Podcast, um, on Instagram at Hardy Wrestle Pod. Well, that's Twitter, at Hardy Wrestle Pod. And on Instagram, at Hardy Wrestling Podcast. So remember to be who you are and love who you are in all of your melanated glory. And just... Continue to make history, even if that's just you waking up in the morning and just being your best self, or if that's just you working every day and taking care of yourself, do that too. But just be great because you came from great people and always remember that. So until next time, bye y'all and happy UK Black History Month. Awesome, awesome stuff. Ridden, do you have a recommendation of the week, sir? I do, I do. As the final recommendation 
for Black History Month, I am going to recommend Cat Black. Cat Black, it, now this is, um, if you want something more spooky or more risque, as in, you know, this is the time of Halloween, meaning it's the time of sexy dress up. That that's really the time. Yes. Have I got a content creator for you? <laughs> Cat Black is has been doing blogs for what feels like forever. Mm. She's been on the radar like just forever, doing various. Um, she speaks a lot about um, BDSM, a lot about media, black media, a lot about social media. She does a lot of stuff. And she has a Patreon. So her stuff is always, it always makes you think. Some of it, you know, you have to really think about your opinions about, but it's always wonderful and always needed. So I'm going to recommend her. Nice. Good recommendation to end this, uh, end this month off on. Mm -hmm. Very good fun. So with that... It is time to get on to the final episode of UK Black History Month, our celebration of the greats in black wrestling with, I dare say, one of the greatest in pro wrestling, or at least definitely solidified himself in in, in Mount Rush in in the Mount Rushmore of black wrestling. Ron Simmons. Ugh. So, oh, Ron Simmons. So, chaps, uh, before I get into the groove of things as I usually love to do with these retrospectives, what is what is your kind of like uh, uh, main memory when it comes to Ron Simmons? Because uh, let, let's be honest, it is one for me. It's one word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It you know it's fascinating seeing a man basically take over a word yeah <laughs> yeah like and it's like who else can actually say that it's samuel l jackson with every type of iteration of the word fuck and then it's just ron simmons with damn <laughs> which it's kind of like it's both a great thing and kind of a bad thing because it kind of because if you don't know who Ron Simmons actually is, you just think of it as that, where his history is actually a lot more important, which we will get into. <laughs> it's a bizarre, bizarre thing. Mm. <laughs> oh, it's pretty much, pretty much that. So. Okay, you look, I, I always start at the beginning. So let us start at the beginning of these. Born in May 1958, Ronald Simmons was an, an accomplished football player during his high school and college days. Now, he was considered one of the Florida State's greatest um, recurring victories when he signed out of high school. So he played four years in 77-1980 as a defensive nose guard at Florida State University under coach Bobby Bowden, earning the Consensus All-America Honours in 1970 and 1980. And uh, he also, in 1979, finished ninth in the Heisman voting uh, behind the... Uh, oh, sorry, eventually voting behind the winner Charles White of USC. He was an accomplished defensive uh, defensive football player 
uh, being inducted into the Orange Bowl Hall of Fame for his accomplishments playing at Florida State and was elected to the College Football Hall of Fame in 2008. All of this, of course, led to him having a brief career in the NFL, uh, being selected in the sixth round of the 1981 NFL Draft, playing for the Cleveland Browns in 81 and 82, and then eventually going over to the US Football League, playing for the Tampa Bay Bandits, and eventually ended up playing a, a year at, uh, in the CFL um, oh, shortly before There we go. That. There it is. But it was in Tampa where he met and was a teammate, a future professional wrestler... Lex Luger. <laughs> Wait, Lex uh, Luger played football. I don't remember anyone mentioning that before. Mm-hmm. Odd, but huh. okay. Very surprising, isn't it? Uh, he yeah. ended up. Uh, he ended up, funnily enough, playing uh, off-season for the Green Bay Packers at one point in the early eighties. Nice. Oh, okay. Luger, but we will get to Lex Luger in the future. That's for Debs. <laughs> so. It was uh, around 1986 that Ron Simmons considered a career in professional wrestling. As a matter of fact, he was trained under the legendary Hiro Matsuda. Now, if you don't know who Hiro Matsuda is, he's considered one of the greats in Japanese professional wrestling and trained many wrestlers, including the great Muta, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, Scott Hall, Lex Luger, Bob Orton, and Hulk Hogan. Now, that's a mix of people. That is uh, certainly a mix. <laughs> On the scale of Hogan to Great Muta, <laughs> that's a wide variety of people. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, but no, Hiram Matsuda is definitely one of those names that it does get pop- pops up, especially when it comes to the, uh, the uh, mid to late 80s of caliber of professional wrestlers. So it's definitely, he's definitely, if you've never heard of him or never seen the caliber of his work, I highly recommend going and watching at least a couple of Hiro Matsuda matches. Uh, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite uh, facts about uh, Matsuda is that he once had a ring name, he once wrestled under the ring name Ernesto Kojima. Ernesto Kojima? <laughs> yes. Uh... Who gave him the name Ernesto? <laughs> I do not know. It's probably trying to get on the whole bandwagon of, an, of Antonio with Anoki. But Ernesto? <laughs> Ernesto. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so this brings us, I should say, to Jim Crockett's promotions in 1986. He debuted on the first show of the Great American Bash Tour when he defeated the Tahitian Prince in Lakeland, Florida on July the 1st. Simmons really only wrestled around house shows around this sort of time, around the July-August time. But on August 7th, he would score his biggest victory at that time when he defeated Ivan Koloff in St. Louis, Missouri. The rookie, Simmons, would defeat the likes of a young Rodney and a whitey, also in the future would be known as Yokozuna, and of (laughs) course, and the Barbarian. That was a good old... Uh, Brutus, wasn't it? Yeah, it is Brutus indeed. <laughs> he remained. I forget just how he got everywhere. Yeah, and it was mostly because of his mate Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man. So, yeah, he remained at this time undefeated in singles action until losing to Kolov on a house show in 1988. Uh, Simmons remained dominant for his first uh, half of 88 against lower-level competition on house shows, uh, eventually teaming up with Steve Williams for the third annual Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup. They were defeated in the opening round, though, by Mike Rotunda and Mr. Booker Man Kevin Sullivan. When Simmons, and I, I quote here the article here, when Simmons was hit with a foreign object. Right. I, I, can't, okay. t- I can't tell you what the foreign object was, so I apologize in advance for that. It's yeah, just, that's... No, this is just wrestling speak. It was a foreign object. <laughs> so this leads us to his first notable tag team, Doom. Not the video game. Ron Simmons can play Doom confirmed. <laughs> so it was soon Go after- on. <laughs> so it was soon- can, can a person run Doom? The answer is yes. 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 So in March 1989, Simmons began showing signs of a heel turn as he got a little bit more aggressive in his move set um, and then ended up having a bit of a, of, of a scuffle. With then uh, with fellow babyface and then world heavyweight champion NWA's world heavyweight champion, I should say, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. When he broke the rules in what was supposed to be uh, 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 a face versus face match, um, so Simmons won the match when referee and future manager Teddy Long made a fast count. <laughs> Oh no! Okay, no. Th- okay, this is this is this is an acknowledged part. Teddy Long was a referee before. Yes. It oh my god! I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> he complete. He would complete his heel turn on the May twenty seventh episode of World Championship Wrestling during a tag team match where he teamed with Ranger Ross against the Samoan Swap Team as part of a tournament for the vacant NWA World Tag Team Championships, leaving him in the ring alone when Long came out. So Ranger Ross was left all on his lonesome when Teddy Long went holla holla player and Simmons came following. Now, <laughs> Did he call for a tag match? <laughs> no, against The Undertaker, yes. No. <laughs> so... Mean Mark Callis arrives. <laughs> oh my god! Around this time, yeah. So Simmons would later team up with Butch Reed to form the tag team Doom, and you'll be lo- you'll love this. In the beginning of the tag team, the members of them were masked and only known as Doom Number One and Doom Number Two. <laughs> I'm here to see Doom Two. <laughs> uh, and they were originally at that, that time would have been managed by woman Nancy Benoit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. That's... Yeah, 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 yeah. So, in their pay per view debut, funnily enough, at Halloween Havoc 1989, Doom defeated the Steiner Brothers. Hell yeah! Yes. I can only yes. imagine that that match was just horrifically stiff. Oh, oh absolutely, my God. it was. <laughs> it absolutely was. <laughs> Soon, literally right after that, though, they would take part in an, what's what was called an Iron Team tournament at Starcade. Uh, Doom would finish fourth in that, losing all three of their matches at that time. <laughs> okay, right. Uh, after the uh, Doom's misfortune would continue after Woman dropped them to manage the Four Horsemen. 
And at Ch- okay. Clash of the Champions 1990, they hit rock bottom when they were defeated by the Steiner brothers, and as a result of the stipulation, were forced to unmask. Fortunately, though, Teddy Long comes back and helps them, and helps them rebound in a big old way, defeating the Steiner brothers for the NWA World Tag Team Championships at Capital Combat in 1990. And they would hold these titles for nine months. Nice. Also, Capital, also, Capital Content, Capital Combat, that's a good name. That is a very good name. name. Mm -hmm. Very good name. Unfortunately, this was the one where they, uh, Capital Combat 90 was the one where Robocop uh, made the surprise save for Sting. Wrestling! God damn it! Can't you can't win them? You, Wrestling's yeah. fucking brilliant. I swear. Why do I watch this? Can't win them all, Reardon. You can't win them all. So yeah, you can't win not. fucking shit in this. <laughs> I hate it here. So they would end up actually with these nine-month reign. Ended up uh, having or having feuds with the Rock and Roll Express and feuded a very long feud with the Four Horsemen, which um, had a incredible. Um, street fight against Arn Anderson and Barry Windham at Starcade 1990. Uh, that ended in an old contest when Windham pinned Simmons, while Reed simultaneously pinned Anderson. Yes, it's the double classic, pin. It's the classic <laughs> double pin. Ah, <laughs> uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> Uh, it was this though, uh, with this reign as well, that Doom uh, were actually recognised as the first holders of the WCW World Tag Team Championships in January '91. But they would finally lose the titles to the fabulous Freebirds at Wrestle War in February. <laughs> uh, so subsequently, they would break up with Simmons turning face and then feuding with Butch Reed, defeating him in a cage match at the very first Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, so it was at this time that Simmons was making a name for himself and would defeat and end up having rivalries with Oz and the Diamond Stud. Yes, that is Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Ah! <laughs> uh... <laughs> and would unsuccessfully challenge Lex Luger for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship at Halloween Havoc '91, losing the best three out of falls match, one fall to two. Of course, this brings us comfortably brings us to 1992 and slowly and ever so surely getting to the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. So we spent the first half of 92, believe it or not, feuding with Cactus Jack. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) That's an interesting match. A very interesting match, but they did have some very good matches. One thing I always like to hear is when Mick Foley... Uh, told a story of working with Ron Simmons one time, uh, and and Foley was going, "Oh yeah, you know what I could do? I could, you know, you could, you know, f- sprawl me outside, and then I I'll have like a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire and flames." And Ron goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, hold there! I ain't doing any of that crazy stuff." <laughs> <laughs> Or he'd have another suggestion. Oh yeah, I'll open up the like the the the, the mats, and you can give me a pile driver onto the an exposed concrete. He said, "Hell no!" <laughs> I just love it so much, just for the energy of just being like, we can do all this like really crazy stuff. And he just goes, "Now nah, what? I just want to get paid. <laughs> I just want to do my thing, and we'll be good." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. 
So, leads this all leads up to his to his run for the World Heavyweight Championship, which started uh, after a title match between Sting and then champion Big Van Vader was cancelled after Jake Roberts injured Sting. Kayfabe, may I add on that. So, in response to this, WCW president Bill Watts holds a raffle to determine the number one contender for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Yes, you heard are me you right. Are you sure this show? Are you sure this show wasn't hosted in the UK? No, it was. I, 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 are I, you sure? I am absolutely positive. Okay. So I'm going to choose to believe you. <laughs> Simmons won the raffle and proceeds to have a match against Big Van Vader for the World Heavyweight Championship. Now, if you've not seen this match, it's a pretty good match for what it is. But, if you do not know, Simmons defeats Vader with a snap scoop power slam to win it, and Jim Ross, with probably one of his best calls in his entire career, uh, counts the three and screams that Simmons wins the title! Simmons wins the title! Simmons does it! What a moment this is. Simmons becomes the very first black world heavyweight champion in professional wrestling history. Uh, I'm going to add the little asterisk. Excellent. That we can verifiably say without it being disputed in some way. Yes. Because there's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff with the early NWA titles that's just a mess to try and decode. (laughs) Yeah. Um... As well as the earlier, yeah, very much. I, I was going to say pre-segregation, but then that means we're only going before the 1960s. Mm. Uh, the kind of stuff around the founding of the NWA, where there were lots of like black-only wrestling companies, obviously especially in the South and in the North as well. Mm. Uh, which add like some layers of dispute to stuff. Yeah, because it's like this person was, but they weren't recognized by these people and stuff like that. It gets very confusing. Yeah. So conflicting yeah. reports suggest that he might be the first or second potentially African American uh, wrestler to win a world title. But it's what is known in concrete is that Ron Simmons is the yeah. first recognized African American WCW champion. Yeah. But that that that's just what we want to do there because I, yeah. I know some wrestling historians might get on my back about it. So <laughs> they definitely most likely will. But uh no great match. either way, if you are getting on my back about it, let's still look at a point of celebrating it's a point where we have a black world champion again in a predominantly white industry. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. In nineteen ninety two. God, it's nineteen ninety bloody two, Jesus yeah. Christ. Believe oh, it and again, you... remember the NWA itself didn't get there until what 2000 and 2002 with uh, Ron the Truth Killings. Yeah, yeah. So it took that. It took the NWA another two years. I like it's, uh, it's crazy for the dub for the WWF. It would have been ninety eight, like, I think. Nine ninety eight, late ninety eight, like ninety nine, uh, early ninety nine. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, great match if you wanna if you wanna go back it is into a it. Great I match. think it's just the atmosphere and the and the crowd and Jim Ross on commentary for that match really just elevates it to another level. Uh, highly recommended that one. Simmons though would hold on to the title for five months, continuing to feud with Cactus Jack. And at Starcade was scheduled to wrestle Rick Rude, but due to being injured, uh, was replaced by Doctor. Death, Steve Williams instead. Oh my god! Uh, oh wrestling, my god. A, uh, wrestling to a double countout uh, that was changed to a disqualification win for Simmons when Williams attacked him after the match. Oh, his reign would end two days after that on December the thirtieth when Vader pinned him to regain the title. And after that, Simmons was pretty much back to the mid card status, eventually becoming mm-hmm. a bitter heel. Uh, whose 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 kind of motivation was that the fans abandoned him after he lost the championship. He would eventually mm. try to challenge for the U.S. Championship against uh, against Dustin Rhodes. Would try to go for the Television Championship against Paul Orndorff uh, during his last months with WCW. But it was in the spring of 1994 that Simmons was working for WCW without being signed to a contract. And uh, at this time, funnily enough, a little fun fact that he was managed by Sherry Martel during this time as well. Great choice. Uh, he would compete in the European Cup tournament during a house show tour of Europe, winning the first round against Marcus Bagwell. I feel like Marcus Bagwell the past few weeks has really cropped up quite a bit in these episodes. I mean, we, to be fair, we had we had a good couple mentions of WCW, and I never realized again. I never realized how integral to the company he apparently was. <laughs> but he would lose the next round to Sting. He would go on to feud with Sting and Bagwell, but his last televised match was again was a win over Scott Armstrong on the nineteen on a nineteen ninety four or September ninety four episode of WCW Worldwide. It was then after that he would uh, leave WCW for the greener pastures of Extreme Championship Wrestling for a little a little bit, teaming originally with Two Cold Scorpio, but then. Uh, most of his time was actually spent challenging uh, World Heavyweight Championship Shane Douglas. Uh, a match as well, at a November to Remember, uh, was a pretty darn good match. But after that, he would have a couple of matches with Mikey Whipwreck and 911. You know, actually, I think, like, in the right circumstances, Ron Simmons could have been in, like, could have easily been in the ECW, like, Mount Rushmore, thinking about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, absolutely! Like because he doesn't like I I whilst I can't imagine him doing like the real real extreme like table spots and whatever, but Ron Simmons just working stiff to <laughs> everyone would have been just a beautiful sight to see. Oh heck yeah! Oh heck yeah! Uh, well, I, I think I think the thing that I, I think the thing that I would say about him working ECW is I would. Because I I just picture it being kind of kind of similar in a way to maybe I want to say like a Mike Awesome, but it isn't a Mike Awesome. Mm. Like, could you imagine if he was just like just there, just rather than like taking the hardcore stuff, he was just there dishing it out to everyone? Yeah, exactly. I would have loved to have seen. Like, that. could you imagine Ron Sim like Ron Simmons versus? Um, like ECW era, um, ah, uh, the Spike Dudley. Spike that, yes, there we go. Mm, yeah, yes. oh god, just like launching him. <laughs> I think, 
I think if he did that, I don't think we'd ever see Spike Dudley again. He'd be in space yeah. right now. <laughs> exactly. No, that was what I was thinking as well. But unfortunately, WWF had other plans and offered him a contract. So pretty much he was like, bye, I'm getting good money here. I'm going to the WWF. I, oh, I, yeah, but like, to, imagine... be fair, to be fair, get the bag, brother. <laughs> exactly. And I imagine within, within day two of him signing that he absolutely regretted it because uh, let us get into WWF and the intergalactic gladiator, Farouk <laughs> Assad. Intergalactic gladiator. So there's, there's intergalactic gladiator, Farouk Assad. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, like, I... like, that... He had to have used the Beastie Boys song, surely. Nope. Surely. No, no. unfortunately not. He would make. Oh it my god! So let's get. Come scared. on, WWE taking out licensed music. <laughs> you know oh, that, that doesn't happen. Yeah, I, know. I, ha- I do maintain. I do maintain, though. Um, Tony, if you ever want to shout out the money, get uh, Intergalactic for Chris Statlander yes. and best friends. Oh please! Like, my <laughs> goal for like. The Beastie Boys, God love them. They are like they don't do advertising. It's in, but but they they have they are able to. You are able to. If if Star Trek could do it, they you can do it. Come on, yeah. come on. Exactly, exactly. Oh, that that would I would actually I would pop massive if I if I heard. Oh, that'd be hard. I mean, I'd be there and say I'd pop big, but um, as people who know me know, I'm a massive Beastie Boys fan. Yeah, yeah. So if I just heard it anyway in the wild, I'd be like, "Oh my god, it's the Beastie Boys!" Yeah, I mean, I mean, we are hardcore Beastie Boys stands oh, on this yes. podcast. Oh, absolutely. hardcore! Oh my god! <laughs> so where was I? Oh yes. So Rodson oh, yeah. debuted on the July twenty sixth, ninety six episode of Monday Night Raw, and as I said, he debuted as Farouk Assad, a futuristic intergalactic gladiator who wore a black and white uh, gladiator outfit with a really misshapen helmet like a silvery blue like, yeah gladiator i've heard about helmet. this and you want to know like the silliest part about this he was managed by sunny yeah you know looking at the outfit wrestling you know looking at the outfit apart from it's the bottom bit that doesn't work the actual <laughs> top bit shockingly works are you sure about that, Reader? I maybe I'm being insane. <laughs> maybe I am being insane. He looks but... like you know what he looks. What that helmet makes him look like. He makes him look like the the uh, the quake guy. Does. Just very misshapen. Now, don't get me wrong. He don't looks get like me wrong. he looks like. Um, how do I describe this? He looks like he should be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles villain. <laughs> Bop or Rocksteady? Uh, no, but like one of them, like the, the, a villain that joined Bebop and Rocksteady. Yes. Also, yeah. the helmet's weirdly too small for his head. Yeah, listen, listen, listen. Despite now, I know, I understand that. And yes, his his costume after this, which we will get to, is much better. I I honestly think he made it work. I actually do. He did the best with what he had available to him, which was not much. You'd be you'd be mm. pleased to know, gents, though, that the, that this gimmick didn't last very long. Oh, shock horror! Shock <laughs> horror! Yeah, no, no, I get that much. <laughs> so he, so his first feud was with Ahmed Johnson, uh, and then it was during <laughs> that, it was during that that he uh, shortened his ring name to Farouk. Of course, it was against Ahmed Johnson. Uh, 
Um, and uh, the feud was actually started, funnily enough, when Farouk attacked Johnson during a tag match where he and Shawn Michaels went up against the Smoking Guns. This is the new generation, like, in Oh, yeah, but this, this, is, this is peak new generation. Yeah. But this, because of the injuries sustained to Johnson, he vacated the IC title that he was holding, and in a subsequent tournament for that title, Farouk lost... So the plan of actually winning the title like that, he lost in the finals against Marvelous Mark Mero. Or sorry, Wildcat Mark Mero, I forget. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but you know what? Like, they were huge on Mark Mero, so... Indeed. Oh, gosh, indeed they were. He was actually the first wrestler in WWF history to actually have a guaranteed contract. That's how high they were on him. Well, him wow. and his wife, but I, I digress. Yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say. <laughs> this leads us to uh, quite an iconic, iconic moment in Ron Simmons' career, the nation of domination. Yeah, here we so, go, baby. November 1996, Farouk drops his gladiatorial gimmick, parts ways with Sonny, and forms the nation of of domination, a stable loosely based on the Nation of Islam and the Black Panther Party. Although, saying that, the members of the stable weren't exclusively African-American. So, would you like to know... There we go. Would you like to go. know the, the, all of the members... Okay, because I feel domination? like... I feel like we need to... I feel like there's two we need to at least get out of the way. Uh, obviously, one of them being, I believe at one point, Owen Hart? Yes. <laughs> uh... But uh, as we know, the Hart family stand for the culture. Absolutely. Um, uh, and then I, <laughs> wasn't it Akeem? No, it was it was Crush. Oh, it was Crush. So the lead, so the members of the of the Nation of Domination for its time in ninety six to ninety eight were Farouk, Rocky Maivia, yeah, Crush, Clarence mm -hmm. Mason, D'Lo Brown. Kamal yeah. Mustafa, Sergio yeah. Vega, Ahmed Johnson, Mark Henry, and two okay. guys who would actually who would originally rap the NOD theme song, JC Ice and Wolfie D. And they were whiter than white, yo. <laughs> oh my goodness. Huh. <laughs> so this gimmick actually had has its beginnings in the USWA, funnily enough. Uh, where I think it was, I believe Farouk went down there for a couple of months to refine the, the to refine the gimmick and and the stable, and it was there that kind of where he got all of the kind of uh, kind of influences of the Nation of Islam and the Black Panther mm -hmm. Party, and actually came up with the motto "By any means necessary," and it was there as well that they actually came up with the iconic. We are the nation of domination theme song, which I I, I swear to God yeah. still slaps to this day. <clears throat> it does, it does. Man, nation of domination are a weird stable. Oh, They're it's a weird ass stable. It's it's weird as hell. <laughs> I don't even I don't even think think we have the time to get into. That's our entire podcast on its own, oh, really. Crumbs. No, Absolutely. it it. it... Because I really, I, I would love to do an episode uh, of the podcast on the gang, on the gang wars storyline that comes out of uh, of all of this. I mean, yeah. uh, like, I don't think we have enough time in this episode to talk about the delicate nature of of race relations in America in the late nineties oh. about the oh, about the yeah. 
about the ever-expanding crossover between uh, black culture and popular culture and uh, attempts by popular media to assimilate black culture. Mm, and how incredibly popular over with the crowd that they were at the time. Um, let me. I won't even go into some of the flipping awful, awful signs that the fans would make during this time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, it's... Oh, God. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, but this it's a mess. So, uh, so the nation actually started feuding with Ahmed Johnson until, of course, Ahmed Johnson joined the nation. Because, you know, make of that what you will. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that was actually after uh, WrestleMania 13, actually. Um, I think it was after WrestleMania 13. Yes, it would have been after uh, WrestleMania 13. Uh, after, the, uh, after losing uh, the WW, uh, to a WWF uh, championship uh, opportunity against The Undertaker, Farouk blamed Crush and Ve- uh, Savio Vega and threw them out of the Nation of Domination. And of course, that would start the the, the gang wars or the faction wars, whatever you like to call it, as uh, as Crush yeah. would, would make the biker gang the Disciples of Apocalypse. And Which Sav- we're not going to get into. No, because we're not going to get into the in, into the Nazi brothers. I'm sorry, the Harris brothers. Um, and then we've got uh, Savio Vega's uh, faction, Los Boricuas. Uh, I, I, yeah. Bro- Boricuas. Yes, there we go. I get there eventually. <laughs> Farouk, of course, would, uh, would recruit more members. That included Maki Maivia, Dilo Brown, and Kama Mustafa. Shout. And, and, and pretty much after this, they would all kind of go after championships, the IC title. Farouk would occasionally go for the WWF title. Uh, and it all kind of culminated around 1998 when uh, when after Rocky's uh, popularity was skyrocketing and he was getting kind of all of the mannerisms of The Rock were starting to form uh, and he was getting more and more popular. He was kind of shunned from the leadership position and soon enough, The Rock took over and uh, and rebranded it as The Nation and, and kind mm-hmm. of the genesis of The Rock's theme came from that. They were, had a lot more swagger to them and uh, of course he rec- ended up recruiting Mark Henry and Owen Hart to, to that so uh, so yes Farouk is no more for the Nation of Domination but what happened what happened to Farouk well I tell you what a very very kind cult leader known as the Undertaker would bring him under his <laughs> wing <laughs> align him oh, yeah. <laughs> team him with Bradshaw and they would form the Acolytes <laughs> wrestling <laughs> wrestling so they were actually originally supposed to be managed by the jackal aka don Callis, until he left the wwf and they were reintroduced then as the min- uh, as members of the ministry of darkness led by uh, by the undertaker so he was basically the tag team the muscle to do uh, to do undertaker's bidding uh, and uh, of course they they would they're a lot more stiffer than usual because, of course, you would when you put mm-hmm. when you pit Farouk and Bradshaw together. Farouk and Bradshaw with the backstage pull of the Undertaker, <laughs> <laughs> and so it was because of the acolytes that the Ministry were able to recruit Phineas I. Godwin, who would later become uh, Midian, and Mabel, who would then become Viscera, to the Ministry by kidnapping them and brainwashing them. <laughs> A lot There's a lot of brainwashing going around in the 90s, wasn't there? I was going to say, it was, the ni- it was a different time. It was the 90s. <laughs> it was, though, during this time with the Ministry that they would actually have two short reigns as tag champions, defeating uh, Kane and X-Puck, 
and then defeating mm-hmm. the, the Hardys, which at this time, the Hardy boys were managed by Michael Hayes, of all people. Make of that what you will. Um, <laughs> okay. Mm. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's a thing. <laughs> and so after this, uh, around late 99, after Undertaker suffered an injury which saw him out for quite a long time, the Ministry would disband, and Farouk and Bradshaw would kind of get rid of a lot of the occult kind of things and eventually starting to you know become beer drinkers cigar smokers playing poker in the back and then eventually becoming kind of like hired hands bodyguards mercenaries uh a tag team for hire if you will and then that this which time they... i maintain is amazing yes and it was and the... like people be then be like oh it's kind of if my... people can say whatever right <clears throat> mm. all i'm saying is like, there's actually a meme about the NXT parking lot at this point. Yes. I, if anyone needs protection in kayfabe, it's other wrestlers from other wrestlers. <laughs> yeah, it's such a... Oh, man. Oh. I love I love the idea of this so much. You have no idea. So, it was from this that he... Uh, from, from this and becoming a, a tag team for hire, they came up with the Acolyte Protection Agency, which spawned the amazing shirt... The APA, always pounding ass. One of the greatest things that arguably WWE has ever produced. (laughs) Yes, I, and also the, and also the classic, the one of the great company mottos. We, we work for beer money. Yes, I love the APA so much. It's so good though. It's such a great idea. And they had because... tremendous backstage segments. I always oh, thought they, they had did. really good Oh, they had tremendous, oh, yeah. tremendous backstage to the poker games and whatnot. I just love the idea. Like a very, it's such a, gr- it's honestly like world building wise, such a great idea. The idea of like, let's just literally have a heel group. That any heel or any face really can just like we will pay you to help us here. He's literally just there, like man. All these, all these, like, um, you know, distraction finishes or like all these people get interfering and like you know interfering with the ref, and then I get hit with a chair and losing. Mm. I could really do with some extra people in my corner, and then just the APA just swoop in. Also, yeah. I feel like APA were part of a really good kind of, like, pop in the WWF at that time, where Chris Jericho hired them to get to have the McMahon-Helmsy regime from stopping them from interfering uh, during, a like, an impromptu WWF title match against Triple H, which saw Jericho win that match, and the, I remember the, the pop of the crowd was insane. Like, yes, was an insane was... pop from the uh, from the crowd. Like, uh, I'm just saying, in like re- in wrestling terms, there should always be like a version of the APA just around. Yeah, yeah, it's Without good question. money. It's, it's very so good, money. good. And look, so now that we've got this, can we talk? Should we talk a little bit about JPL? Just the tad. I mean, we can if you just really want to. Uh, <laughs> I just have to get this out there. It's really weird that JBL is on the right side of history with this, especially considering what his character turns into. Yes. Uh, I understand what you mean. <laughs> like, by all rights, this shouldn't exist. 
I know what you mean. I really mm. know what you mean, especially with how this ends as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Would you be surprised to know, gents, that during this time in late 2000, early 2001, this is the time Farouk adopted the very famous, oh, the most iconic and... catchphrase. <laughs> it's so good. Damn! Because he used to do it whenever people used to, like, because I remember they always had the door in the back. Yes. And so people used to, like, break down the door or just, like, mess around with it, and then he would say it. And as we said, he now has a functional monopoly on one word, and that's all he needs to do now, and I respect it. <laughs> yes. Exactly. But with all this popularity with them, the APA would end up winning their third tag team title by defeating the Dudley Boys... Uh, in June 2001, or I believe it would have been a raw taping, I believe. Probably. But lost the titles the following month to DDP and Chris Canyon when, of all people, Test interfered. Yeah, we were right in the midst of the invasion angle at this point. Uh, Test kicked someone's head off. <laughs> <laughs> so this, uh, the APA would see through the invasion and eventually would team, would team together until 2002 when Farouk was drafted to the SmackDown brand in the very first WWE draft. So, around this time, Simmons began actually wrestling under his real name uh, because... <laughs> This oh, is one of my God. greatest. This is one of my. This is one of the most absurd stories, but it's genuinely incredible. Because the terrorist group Al Qaeda had a training camp called Al Farouk. Oh my God! Oh no! Oh no! Yeah. Uh, oh. It is the most. I don't even know how to describe that story because I feel like you could tell that to me even though I know it and I would think it's fake. I would never have known. I honestly would never have known because it's like, I, I, cause I still think of SmackDown Shut Your Mouth and he was still called Farouk in that game. No, no. Uh, and then, of course, it was at the time where JBL was trying his best to be Stan Hansen but really couldn't be. Uh, I don't, But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> After a... don't just don't just out his entire career like that. I was getting. <laughs> After a brief hill run where he which saw him team with Reverend Devon, uh, of course Reverend Devon being the man who always wanted money off of you, uh, yes. especially from New Legacy Inc. And of course talked about the plights of um, many of things. I won't repeat here. He left television <laughs> actually in December two thousand and two, but returned in two thousand and three when he reunited with Bradshaw to reform the APA, which sees them to Ron Simmons' last storyline with WWE. He was fired kayfabe by SmackDown GM Paul Heyman after the APA lost a match for the WWE Tag Team Championships. Now, it was assumed that the APA were fired, but Heyman bastard told Bradshaw that he was allowed to stay uh, and of course this seems of course Bradshaw Bradshaw was umming an R in and it was like oh I, I can't leave though I've got a book deal I, I do stuff with Fox News it's, I can't give that all up Ron and so no, kind of leaves just... him high and dry wow receives more this <laughs> that's just so ah, boy. so would you believe right he was he was supposed to kind of he wanted to retire but also have kind of almost like a little role within the company but no 
He had Simmons, who had been planning to this due to like health and age, and wanted to become a backstage agent for the company. He was let go the day of the angle. Oh wow! Wow! I just, huh? Yeah, crazy, ain't it? That's crazy. But all is not lost because he would return in two thousand and six, making short cameos here and there. Mm-hmm. Of course, coining the amazing catchphrase "dab," which saw him have a T-shirt, which was quite a, a popular T-shirt at WWE shop. Oh yeah, he would of course make that. He would again keep making more and more appearances. It's funny enough in, in uh, on a uh, November 2006 edition of Raw, he was chosen by Ric Flair to replace the injured Roddy Piper at Survivor Series to take on the Spirit Squad. But he was the first to be eliminated because, of course, he was. Oh, that's a shame. Um, but it soon enough would culminate with his career being forever mortalized when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2012. And so ends our retrospective on Ron Simmons. A short and sweet one, but one that is very... It's interesting, to say the least. Yeah. It's a real feel-good story, apart from the weird-ass ending. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Well... Yeah, it's like it ended abruptly. That's, I mean, that's well, that's that's putting it mildly. Yeah, that's that's one way of putting it. He got yeah, Ron Simmons, man. (laughs) What a guy! What a guy in a very interesting time. You're telling me, especially as a black wrestler. Does he have any um? Does he have any memoirs or any like? Biographies or books or biographies, anything like that. I imagine that he does. I I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I would very much be interested in reading a Ron Simmons book. If he does, I'm I'm so on that because especially because I would like to, I would really like to know kind of what what convinced him to go from like American fr- from pro football to professional wrestling, and if it was Lex Luger, of course, that game was the one. <laughs> <laughs> who knows who knows indeed but no that is where we're going to wrap up on today's episode chaps and thus ends our very first uh, celebration of UK Black History Month as I said at the top of this I've really enjoyed this and really looking into all of these people and I can't wait to do it again next year for sure Oh, it's yeah. always fun doing these. It's always fun doing these special features and being able to highlight a bunch of people that we really, really feel need highlighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here, here. And getting the chance to talk about all of this stuff because um, wrestling needs to have these conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely, they do. Oh, Okie doke, chaps. We're going to take it easy for the next episode, I reckon. I reckon. Yeah. I reckon we should do a pay per view watch along. A pay-per-view review, and I've got those. I've got the pay-per-view in mind. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, on our next episode, we're going to be doing a pay-per-view review of WCW Road Wild 1999. <laughs> oh, oh yeah! Oh yes, 1999. Truly, the peak years of. Top- oh god. Ah, oh, 99, a fine vintage. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. Now, if no one kind of knows why this one in particular, I must stress that this is the Road Wild that saw the <laughs> that saw Dennis Rodman 
take on Randy Savage in the co-main event. Oh, Beast. heaven. I still cannot, be- despite me knowing it's a thing, I still cannot believe it's a thing. <laughs> it, it's really, it's it's wrestling at its artistic peak. I, I look forward to hearing your guys' reactions to this. Oh, I bet. <laughs> All right, then. Odds on, ba- odds, odds on Buff Bagwell appearing again. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah, pro- most likely. Anyway... We've got that to look forward to next week. But until then, I have been Sam. This has been Dan and Reardon. And you've been listening to the Sweet Chinwag podcast. We will see you as always on the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Damn.